morning, church. I'm Kyle. I'm, I'm simply nothing more than a lay worker here at Redemption Olds, and I've been blessed with yet another opportunity to open up God's word, unfold it here on this, this Palm Sunday. Um, I am absolutely thankful for the scripture John read. I don't know he's reading that, but when we look at that, uh, God leads his people to places. You'll see he leads Jesus to a place where he seems trapped, and um, at the end of it, we know that he, he wins. God glorifies himself through that. Uh, fantastic. Thank you. Today is Palm Sunday. I'll get into a little bit more of what that means here in a little bit, um, but I just want to start off with a priming exercise for our hearts and our minds. We just sang some awesome songs that Roman put together for us as a set list to prime us for worshiping our Lord. I feel inspired by that. Uh, thank you, Roman. I hope you guys all do too. And kids, bear with me. I'll let you go in just a minute if you want, but I want you here for this too. So what we're going to do is I want everyone to close their eyes if they have to, but I want you to think. And we're going to answer this question that I have for you. So close your eyes, paint a mental picture. If you need a piece of paper to write something down, put up your hand and Usher will bring you, they'll find a piece of paper or I have some in my, my Bible book. Um, and parents and adults, I don't want the answer that you think you should answer. I want you to be raw with yourself. I want you to be real. I want each of you to be honest and genuine with who you think Jesus is. Who do you know or who do you think the people in the Bible say that he is? What did the people of the Bible say he is? What role does he play in your life? Who is this Jesus to you? Take a quick minute. I'm going to have a drink of water. Okay. Now, kids, when you get back in the car with your parents today, when you see them after service, ask them this question. Who is Jesus, if you don't know? Or, or tell them, talk to them about this. Here's who I think Jesus is. And uh, hopefully they'll take something away from this sermon. Maybe they can tell you a little bit about it too. Uh, but for now, kids, you may go uh, enjoy yourselves. And I pray that you will be blessed with what you learned today. All right, so open up your Bibles with me today. We're going to be working in John 11 and 12 um, to unpack this excellent question of who Jesus is. If you don't have a Bible, put up your hand. The ushers will be happy to uh, bring you a Bible. I want you guys to have God's Word open in front of you. I, I want to read the Scriptures with you. I want us to search the Scriptures. Um, I want you to come talk to me about them afterwards if, if you want to... <laughs> We want to talk about them, talk about something you hear. You hear. I want to be like the Bereans, search the scriptures and, and know that this is truth. So we're looking at the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Um, we're going to look at the entry of Jesus according to the Gospel of John. Now this account of the entry of Jesus is written in all four accounts of the Gospels. So each Gospel writer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, 
have each written an account of Jesus's entry into Jerusalem, and it's also known as the triumphal entry, as it's listed in the little title before the section. John 12, verses 12 through 9, is the portion of text that we're going to be studying today. Um, But first, I want to set the stage for us for this Palm Sunday. So Palm Sunday is, well, we're going to look, we'll work through what, John 11, 45 is where we're going to start setting the stage. So Palm Sunday is the beginning of the Holy Week. And spoiler alert, it is also the final, is the first day of the final week in Jerusalem, known as the Passion, uh, Jesus' final week uh, with his disciples. So today is called Palm Sunday because when Jesus journeyed along the road to Jerusalem from Bethpage, crowds of people welcomed Jesus by laying down palm branches and their coats on the ground as a way to honor him. Uh, So most everyone recognizes this as well by the title that's written, like I said, The Triumphal Entry. So let's travel back to Jerusalem here for a moment as we set the stage. The Jews are preparing to celebrate the Passover. It's springtime in Jerusalem, and the atmosphere becomes very, very festive. Celebrating the Passover for the Jews was celebrating their salvation. Passover is celebrating when God delivered his people from 430 years of bondage, and he promised them, he promised to bring them to the Holy Land. God commanded that they celebrate the Passover feast yearly, according to the law of Moses, written and recorded in Exodus chapter 13. Traveling to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover was something that the Jews looked forward to every year. Uh, Jerusalem was the promised land. It was a very joyous celebration, and during this time, the city of Jerusalem inflated from about 20 to 30,000 people to about 150,000 people. Uh, Currently in the time of Passover, it's recorded that Jerusalem prepares for about an influx of about 2.7 million people annually who come in uh, simply for this time of Passover. Uh, Historians tell us that during this time, preparations of roads, bridges, uh, freshening up of the city, all this took place to prepare for the influx of the guests. Now, not everyone stayed in Jerusalem during the night. Uh, In fact, the Gospel of Mark tells us that Jesus and his disciples stayed in Bethany and would travel two miles into Jerusalem in the daytime. So every night they'd go back out to Bethany and they would come back into Jerusalem for the daytime. Jesus' journey began on the other side of Jericho beyond the River Jordan. This is where his, his journey in for the Passover feast began. It was there that he got word from Mary and Martha that Lazarus was sick. Lazarus was in Bethany, which is like a suburb to Jerusalem on the road from Jericho. And after waiting two days, he tells his disciples that he's heading to Judea again. Now, the last time he was in Jerusalem at the Feast of Dedication, the Jews were actually trying to kill Jesus because he claimed to be God. This is when he plainly told them, I and the Father are one. Jesus said this. But Jesus escaped them, and this is accounted in John 10, verses 22 through 39. Upon hearing about Jesus wanting to return to Judea, the disciples reminded him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? They say this in John 11. Uh, 
but Jesus makes it apparent that he is on a mission this time, and away they go to Bethany. On their way to Bethany, they pass through Jericho, where Jesus healed blind Bartimaeus on the way out of town. And Jericho is located now about 17 miles east of Jerusalem. So they're, they're approaching into Jerusalem. He heals blind Bartimaeus and some others, and Bartimaeus joined this already growing large crowd. So as he's traveling on his way in for the Passover, people are gathering with him. He's healing. Uh, people, people want to just be around this Jesus. He's had three years of ministry up to this point as well. So they know who he is. Uh, Mark 10 gives us a clear account of him healing Bartimaeus. So 15 miles later, Jesus enters Bethany. And here Jesus calls Lazarus from the tomb. The raising of Lazarus was no small event. Uh, the crowd that was following Jesus and his disciple, uh, disciples at this point were large because of the miracles and because, like I said, they're all traveling in for the Passover feast. But not only that, Mary was also surrounded by many people who were already there consoling her over the loss of Lazarus. Uh, the raising of Lazarus from the dead was, was extremely public. It was a very incredible miracle as Lazarus had already been dead for four days and we have this account in John eleven thirty nine. 39. Uh, let me read that for... Oh, so that was in John eleven thirty nine. 39. Now, John eleven forty five 45 through 46 tells us, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So here we see that people are kind of scattering a little bit. They're following Jesus. The Pharisees had called people to, to tell them about Jesus, and now it's kind of all starting to unfold as he had raised Lazarus from the grave. So now the Pharisees who want to kill Jesus a few months ago find out that Jesus is back. He's raising people from the dead, and he intends on coming into Jerusalem. So Jesus is now very famous, and everyone is talking about him in the region. Uh, let's pick up here in John eleven fifty five through 57. Now the Passover, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. The stage is set. Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem where everyone is waiting for him. And he knows what his mission is. Now, as we look into our passage today in John 12, we're going to see three distinct perspectives of the person of Jesus. We are going to see who does the crowd think Jesus is. We're going to see who do the Pharisees think Jesus is. And what does the scripture say about who Jesus is. I'm going to read John 12, 12 through 19 here. Follow along. The next day, the large crowd, so this is Sunday, Palm Sunday, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. 
And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with, the, with him when he, ra- when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing? Look, the world has gone after him. Uh, Let me pray for us. Uh, Gracious Father, we thank you, Father, that we can look into the scriptures and, and know truth. You have given us everything we need for life and godliness, Father, in the scriptures and through the Holy Spirit. Uh, Thank you. God, tear the the scales off our heart, Father. Uh, Release us from the shackles of bondage today, Father, that hold us back from seeing who your son Jesus is as as we worship him, as we bow down in reverence to him. Uh, Give us a clear picture today, Father, uh, of who your son Jesus is. Uh, We pray this in the name uh, of your son Jesus. Amen. So who does the crowd think Jesus is? Well, the crowd sees Jesus as their meal ticket. Um, So what do I mean when I say that the crowd see Jesus as their meal ticket? What I mean is that the people see him for the reasons that will benefit them directly and immediately. Uh, As RVG Tasker says in his book, The Gospel According to St. John, The crowds of people see him as a potential nationalist leader with whose help they might be able to become wholly independent of foreign powers. Um, Truly, we're not much different now. We have a problem, and we want a solution right now. Uh, We can't seem to go for more than a few minutes without gathering information that we want on our phones or ordering something right to our front door because of discomfort or a lack of having it, or just wanting life to be easier. Uh, We call this our get-it-now mentality, or simply instant gratification. Uh, We we all seem to enjoy it. Uh, But think bigger scale. So the government is oppressing you, you're tired of the cost of living, interest rates are increasing, food prices are through the roof, and you want some change. I'm sure none of this sounds familiar. (laughs) What better solution than the one who is arriving to rescue you today? The one who's coming to release you from the bondage of tyranny and rule over, and rule over you with justice and compassion. Um, and, and again, I'm not talking about our government. These things were actually happening in the past. These things were happening in the time of Jesus uh, to the people in Jerusalem and the people in the area. God's people were living under stiff Roman rule and life was very difficult for them and they were promised so much more. But now's the time. Here comes Jesus, the one, the man that will set us all free, they're saying. Uh, And look at their cries in verse 13. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Like they're shouting this out to him. They're they're screaming at him as he walks in front of them. Um, 
sorry, my kids tell me that when there's exclamation points, I have to be excited. So <laughs> we see two exclamation points there. So I uh, dare I belt it out even louder and blow your ears off. Um, the shout of proclamation is made up of three parts. First is the name Hosanna, and we sung it today in worship. Uh, it, it, it means, when tran translated, please save or save now. So they're saying, please save. Now, the second part is a direct quote from Psalm 118, uh, verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then the third part that they add in there is even the king of Israel. So they recognize Jesus as, as wanting him to be king. They want him to be king. Uh, so basically what the people are shouting, we'll put it into plain terms, please save us now, O blessed king of Israel. So save us now, O blessed king of Israel, or save us king. They're hailing him. So this isn't the first time either that the people sought Jesus to be their king. Uh, the year prior, during the Passover, large crowds were following Jesus, and we see this account in John 6.15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So Jesus recognized then that, that it wasn't his time. But this time, arriving into Jerusalem, he recognizes that it's different. Uh, this time, he, he recognizes that he is on a, a mission. Here's the difference. The, the mission that the people wanted, or the, the mission he was on, wasn't the mission that the people wanted. What the people wanted was some, some relief from their troubles and difficulties. What they wanted was a, a new ruler, a new king. They wanted, they wanted a new king. Someone who would listen to them and give them what they want. So they wanted a nice democratic leader to, to lead them out of suffrage. They were shouting to be saved from the now, but what Jesus was going to give them was not saving now, but a saving for eternity to come. But their sinful desires and their selfish ambition clouded their eyes from seeing who he truly was. Again, we are not much different. Perceive into your own heart and, and, and look at what's going on. We are going to see this again, too, as we look at the Pharisees, uh, but I want, I want to dive into this a little bit more. So often we think of ourselves as something special. That's called selfishness. We are special. It's always about your world, my world, that's not me, Kyle. I know who Jesus is. You should know who Jesus is. Let's be honest. You have the whole canon of Scripture right in front of you. We know who he is. But often, we still think that we are the hero of the story. Um, the Paul or the David. Often, we watch a superhero and we think how much of a saint we are, just like Name your super favorite superhero, Captain America or Thor. That's me. I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing the good thing. I'm a saint. The reality is we are more like the people of the crowd than we are a superhero. We follow Jesus because we see him perform all these miracles. We wonder, how can we benefit from him? And we want our kids to benefit from him. We want our grandkids to benefit from knowing him. What do we do, though, when we don't get what we want? 
what do the crowds do here in Jerusalem? This is Sunday. This is Palm Sunday. And they're waving palm branches. They're crying out, save us, blessed king. But what are they doing on Friday? What are they doing on Friday when he hasn't overthrown the government yet? And instead, he's imprisoned. Their king is in prison. What are they going to say? Crucify him! Crucify him! Give us Barabbas instead! <laughs> now, I don't, I'm not sure the people knew, and John alluded to this this morning as well, I don't know if they knew what they were saying when they were crying out, Hosanna, and quoting from Psalm 18. Now, Psalm 18 was, was very fresh on their minds because Psalm 113 through 118 is known as a Hallel's, and it's a series of songs that the choirs would sing as they're traveling to the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Dedication, the Passover Feast. They would sing these constantly on the road as they're traveling in for the feasts. But when they see Jesus, their eyes were not set on the eternal. It's obvious here that their eyes were set on the temporal, the here and the now. So often when Jesus or Christianity doesn't meet our expectations, we reject Jesus. We pray and we pray, and if they seem unanswered to us, we say, well, I'm going to do it myself. And we muster up our worthless strength and we press on forward. And if it isn't Jesus who lets you down, we tend to react the same. We do the same. When our church or friends let us down, what do we do? Well, you can click a button on Facebook now and you can unfriend them. Uh, or you can physically unfriend them. You don't answer their calls. We find a new church that suits our needs. This church suits me. I like what they have going on. I'm going to be part of that. I'm not going to be convicted anymore. Or we just outright shut them all out. We can be a very self-seeking people if we're honest with ourselves. Now, I'm going to be even more frank with you all right now. So brace yourselves if you haven't already. I will not meet your expectations. I guarantee you that. Your spouse is not going to meet your expectations either. Jesus will not meet your expectations. So how are you going to respond? What are you going to do? Truth is, Jesus will not always give you what you want or expect, but he will always give you what you need. So he's not always going to give you what you want or expect, but he will always give you what you need. And there are hundreds of reasons why the crowds around Jesus abandoned him, but it all boiled down to one common denominator. They left Jesus because he did not meet their expectations. They wanted a king who was going to overthrow the government, and he was imprisoned. Examine your own heart and ask yourself, why am I following Christ? 
Why do you follow Jesus? What do I expect Jesus to do for me? And are my expectations biblical? This is what we should weigh all of our thoughts against. Are our expectations biblical? Do I follow Jesus because he's my meal ticket? The person to rescue me from my current circumstances? The one who will give me what I want? Am I like the crowd and following Jesus because I seek to have my fleshly desires met? <clears throat> Alan Burns, in his Palm Sunday sermon, I thought said it best, so I'm just going to do a direct quote here. <clears throat> Jesus is not a ticket to eternal life, or a ticket to a mansion in heaven, or a get-out-of-hell-free ticket, or a ticket to get a better marriage, nor is he the key to a new house, to being cancer-free, or a new car, or a new job. Jesus is the ticket to get Jesus. So if you're not completely satisfied with having only Jesus, then you don't want Jesus to be your savior. So it's true that we can all be very much a, a little or a lot like the people following Jesus, crying out, Hosanna on Sunday and then not so satisfied with him by Friday. Um, but God uses these opportunities to have us look in the mirror and examine ourselves and our, our own hearts. Oh, oh gracious and, and merciful God. Um, brothers and sisters, like, like pray. Be down on your knees uh, praying for forgiveness. If, if this is your heart attitude, uh, I, I know I had to uh, in preparing this and, and ask him to bless you with right expectations. Don't ask him to help you. Ask him to bless you with right expectations. Ask him to change your heart so that our response instead would be, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Imagine our world if that was our response. It would be awesome. So what about the Pharisees? Well, the Pharisees see Jesus as a menace. <laughs> it almost hurts to say that. Jesus is a menace. The Pharisees saw Jesus as an absolute threat to all that they know and enjoyed. Jesus was a menace to the heart desires of the Pharisees. Jesus was the threat to all that they longed to keep. Everything they, they, they wanted to cling to, to hold on to, Jesus was a threat to all of that. The Pharisees longed for the praise of men, and Jesus was getting all of it. They constantly desired the best seat in the synagogue, and guess who got it? Jesus was getting it instead. He was receiving a hero's welcome with shouts of praise and palms at his feet. The Pharisees, they gave tithes. They prayed openly with their big words and lofty speech. And they showed the droop of their faces when they were fasting so the people would be awed at their spiritual work. But guess what? Instead, 
They're marveling at Jesus. I mean, let's be honest. Pretty hard to get followers when the competition's raising the dead, right? (laughs) You can't compete with that. hands going numb holding this. Jesus was stealing all their thunder, and so they sought to kill him. John eleven forty seven through 48 tells us of this plot. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. What are they going to do? So we get to see the Pharisees' heart here as well in chapter 12, verses 19. And they're venting their frustrations to one another. Verse 19 says, So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you're gaining nothing? Look, the world has gone after him. So the Pharisees are so frustrated that they exaggerate the following of Jesus as the world. Their entire world is collapsing because of him. Now remember, this is Palm Sunday. Can you imagine what they're going to do on Monday when he starts overturning their tables? (laughs) So the Pharisees were supposed to be the spiritual leaders of the time. They were the big deal, and they wanted all the attention. This is the Passover feast. This is their time to shine. This is what they were all about. But here comes Jesus again, taking all the glory for himself. Furthermore, it's as if Jesus could perceive their hearts and their jealousy, and in the week to come, he fed it evermore. He continued to teach daily in the temple. The chief priests and the Pharisees and the scribes were all trying to destroy him, arrest him, and kill him. But because of his constantly growing popularity with the crowds, their plots to overtake him and kill him were impossible. So what we see is that Jesus competed against their heart desires. The Pharisees desired fame and recognition and self-exaltation. They longed for the praise of men. But Jesus was getting all of the praise. Jesus said the Pharisees honored God with their lips, but their hearts were far from God. If their hearts were so close to God, they would worship God's son. Their sin blinded their eyes. So just like the crowd that had their eyes blinded by their own selfish ambitions and their relief, The pride of the Pharisees kept them from seeing the true character of Jesus. Jesus' popularity revealed the true condition of the Pharisees. The problem of the Pharisees is pride. And it's not so much that they hated Jesus, but they hated that they were losing followers on the account of Jesus. They hated not being the most important star of the show. And they hated not being listened to and not receiving the recognition that they felt they deserved. 
Pride and jealousy are no new thing. Just like the crowds, again, there's no new sin under the sun. But isn't this just another reflection of us? I'm sure that none of us has ever felt jealousy or pride. Or even just a wee bit of, like, maybe not receiving something we think we should get. Why didn't I receive that promotion? Or why was he chosen for that job? Why was he in that project committee? That should be me. Why can't I afford that car? Like, I work every day of the week. I deserve that. Our dissatisfaction with our circumstances or our dissatisfaction with the recognition we receive or even just our, our social status. The condition of the Pharisees, like I said, is again another opportunity to, of grace to look in the mirror and repent and ask the Lord to remove the pride and jealousy that blinds our eyes from seeing Jesus as the one who rightly deserves all the praise and worship and exaltation. If you guys are attached to a small group and you're going through the video series, like Paul Tripp refers to this as, as just getting out of the way. Like, get yourself out of the way. Let people see Jesus. You should get attached to a small group if you're not, by the way. <laughs> good it is good Uh, so if the crowds can't rightly see who Jesus is and the blind Pharisees can't either uh, then what better than the scriptures themselves to reveal to us who Jesus is so the scriptures see Jesus as the Messiah now Jesus is Christ the Messiah And no, Christ isn't his last name. This is a title. This is his title of worthiness. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Capital L, capital King. The crowds that followed him and shouted out Hosanna were correct in their praises, but they were completely wrong in their hearts. Jesus is Lord, and we should bow to him in reverence, and we are to submit to his rule. The scripture sees Jesus as Christ the Lord, and Jesus knew the scripture. He knew them so well that we have an account of him actually at age 12 teaching in the temple. Jesus knew these scriptures so well that he ensured every detail of the scripture, of his entry into Jerusalem was fulfilled just as God had written it and ordained it to be in prophecy. So I'm going to walk us through a little bit of this prophecy, some of the more meaningful details. You may have picked up on this before. Um, Don't be so hard on yourselves if you haven't uh, because we can see that just like in verse 16 of the text, even his own disciples didn't understand what was going on. They didn't understand the fulfillment of the prophecy until they were on the road to Emmaus and they received the Holy Spirit and Jesus himself revealed himself in these things to them after his death and resurrection. So as it states in verses 14 and 15, Jesus chose to ride into Jerusalem on a young donkey. 
He received this donkey by sending his disciples for him to go and retrieve it. Uh, that's told in Luke. Uh, the Gospel of Luke goes a little more into the detail of the retrieving of the donkey. Jesus knew exactly where it was. He knew that the man would give up the donkey willingly. He sent his disciples to go retrieve it. And he knew that this is how he was going to arrive in Jerusalem. So let's read verses 14 and 15 again. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. By doing this, just as it's written, Jesus fulfilled the exact words spoken to him by the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And like I said, even the disciples didn't recognize this prophecy taking place. But as Jesus stated before during his ministry, if you knew Moses and the prophets, so if you knew your Bible, you would know me because the law and the prophets spoke of me. The scriptures proclaim Jesus as the Christ. And Jesus knows this. He knows that he is the, the one. He recognizes that this is the time. This is the time when he enters in Jerusalem. He knows this is going on. He knows that he's finally going public with the fulfillment of many of these prophecies. He knows that he will be raised from the earth on a cross in the coming days. He states, I'm going to be lifted from this earth leading to his death as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So consider the timing of all of this. In the past, the people had tried to make Jesus king. We saw that in John 16. After feeding the 5,000, the scriptures tell us, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. In the past, Jesus also avoided all of the Pharisees. Matthew 12, 14 through 15 says, uh, he didn't avoid the Pharisees, he avoided their attempts to, to arrest him. Matthew 12, 14 says, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. He tactfully withdrew. At this point in history now, Jesus is no longer avoiding the crowd's attempts to make him king. He's not calling them off from their praises. He's not, he's not avoiding their attempts to make him king, nor is he avoiding the plots of the Pharisees. Previously, Jesus had simply walked into Jerusalem and said, my time has not yet come. But this time, he chose to ride in on a donkey's colt. Very significant. Why, you might be asking, did Zechariah prophesy a donkey? Why a donkey? This isn't what we've seen from previous kings in the Old Testament. Shouldn't someone who's going to be triumphant in this triumphal entry ride in on a horse or some sort of a golden chariot, maybe? Shouldn't there be war banners and trumpets and a massive parade? He is a king, after all, who's going to overthrow this government. Well, if we take a closer look at the prophecy of Zechariah, you guys can look at that tonight if you want or after. We see that John has chosen to omit the word humble. He comes in humble. It's, it's neat to look at this and dig into it, and it's, it's something called AI. Um, not the AI that's coming for you. It's the, the authorial intent. 
authorial intent. So Jesus, or sorry, John writes the gospel about Jesus with the intent on showcasing the glory of Jesus. Um, Luke has a different approach to his gospel. It's a gospel according to Luke. Mark highlights the miracles of Jesus, and Matthew chooses also a different viewpoint. Uh, it's mainly because they're different people, and they have different biases. They have a different history and background. Uh, this, this plurality is an absolute miracle and grace of God as he ultimately is authored all of Scripture, but he's, he's chosen to use fallible men to create his perfect, infallible word. Looking at the Gospel of Matthew 21.5, it's the same account of the entry into Jerusalem, but here Matthew writes, humble and mounted on a donkey. This difference doesn't show error, rather it's highlighting the same event from a different person's viewpoint. Now Jesus chose the donkey's colt because it shows his meekness and his humbleness, and God ultimately chose that he would ride in on a donkey's colt to showcase his meekness and his humbleness. Therefore, fulfilling the prophecies to an even sharper point. And as well, Jesus is displaying his ultimate understanding of the law as he fulfills a law written in Deuteronomy 17.16. And this law states only he must not acquire many horses for himself, or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. This was a law written back in Deuteronomy. Jesus recognized that the king of God's separated people were to be sharply distinguished from the monarchs of the Gentiles. Thus, Jesus observed every law as he actually came to fulfill the law. So this act of entering on a donkey's colt marks his perfect subjection to the law of Moses, but it also brings out his gracious lowliness. Now, some of you might be thinking, some of you know your eschatology a little, little stronger, and you might be saying, Kyle, isn't the Lord Jesus the one referred to as the one sitting on a white horse called Faithful and True? And in righteousness he judges and makes war? His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself? Yes, that is him. You're right. That is our Lord Jesus. But that's at his second coming, the second advent that we're looking forward to. We long for that. And we, we long for it because we've been told about that. He is the war hero. Jesus is the war hero crowned with glory and honor. And when he comes his second time, he will not be riding humbly and lowly. He will be coming to make war. But that's not how he's arriving in Jerusalem because this is not the moment that he has chosen to free his people from ultimate bondage. This is a time, sorry, this is a moment that he has chosen to free his people from physical difficulties. Sorry, let me say that again. That's not how he's arriving in Jerusalem because this is not the moment 
that he has chosen to free his people from their physical difficulties. This instead is the moment that he has chosen to arrive as a meek and humble servant and to free his people instead from an eternity of bondage to sin and death. Praise the Lord for that. And when we're set free from bondage and sin, people, we are able to worship God freely as he deserves. The sin of the people and the sin of the Pharisees didn't allow them to see Jesus as the Lamb of God. But I assure you, that did not stop Jesus. That's the reason why he came. He came to open their eyes, open our eyes, and set them free. Jesus knows the scripture, and the scripture cries out that Jesus is the Christ. So Jesus came to die for you and me. Amen. Came to die for the very sins which cause us to be selfish and seek to satisfy our, and we seek to satisfy our flesh. Just like the people of the crowd, Jesus overcame. The sins which make us jealous and fill us with pride and self-worth, like the Pharisees, Jesus overcame. And when we're in union with Jesus by faith, we also overcome through him. So what then is Palm Sunday? Well, Palm Sunday is a day we remember as the day our Savior humbly rode into Jerusalem to battle for our souls. Our king was riding to fight and free us from our sinful hearts. The Lamb of God riding into town for the Passover, that's Palm Sunday. He was the sacrifice. He was coming to save us from the sin which blinds us from seeing his glory. The sword was drawn for battle, but the sword wasn't in his hand. Instead, the sword was aimed at our king. This is Jesus, Christ, the Lord. He has declared us to be his bride, and he is our bridegroom. To show us just how much he loves us, he mounted a donkey, humbly mounted a donkey, and rode into Jerusalem to fight a battle on our behalf. Brothers and sisters, open your eyes and see Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the anointed Messiah. And he is the king who came to save us. All, all praise and glory to him. I wasn't sure if I would, but I want to read just from Revelation 5. You guys can turn there. You'll see it's a part where it looks more poetic. Uh, this is praise to him. So Revelation 5, 
verses 9, 9 and 10, and, and longer. <laughs> Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nations, and you have made them a kingdom of priests, or a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Worthy is a lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That's what he deserves, people. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Um, Roman, if you could come and close us in worship, brother, I would appreciate it. Thank you for your time, Redemption Church. I pray that you would have your eyes set on Jesus as we enter into Easter, Easter weekend and this Palm Sunday.